Welcome to Clean Dreams. Please pray for me, y'all. My name is Troy, and I am an alcoholic and an addict. And I'd like to uh, take a moment uh, before we get started to uh, welcome all of you to our podcast. I want to welcome those who have been here before and uh, those who have never came to sit with us. Um, also want to go ahead and give credit to Sean C. for being my producer and uh, Justin O. for being his associate producer. Thank you guys for your service. I appreciate that. Also want to welcome Joe H. Also want to welcome Sean W. And holy holly. <laughs> is, all, uh, is all well with everybody? Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. So why don't we take a moment and invite he who presides over us all into this as we pray. God. 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 Please grant me this serenity to to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and and the wisdom to know the difference. The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous has been quite profound in my life and in the way I structure my recovery. I would be remiss if I did not give full credit to the teachings in in this book. The first 164 pages really exposes itself to a whole new way of living. And in there, I found this brand new life. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. I'd like to go ahead and and read some things out of There's a Solution. I I love this part of the book. This part of the book deals with both the misery and the mystery of recovery. The misery of, of my disease lives on page 24. It says, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Now, I'd like everyone to kind of process that. Um, And while you do that, I'm going to read a portion of page 25. This, to me is the mystery of recovery, the mystery of doing this new thing without picking up a drink or a drug. It says, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings which this process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. Now for me, it captures an emotional event that has occurred in my life. It captures that eye-opening moment when I realized that I was not alone that it is possible for me to go through life without picking up a drink or a drug. Because prior to that, it was all theoretical. I heard folks say that, you know, that they're not drinking and they're not drugging and their lives have changed. But never once did I think or allow that to be a possibility for me. 
You know, I knew where I came from and I didn't see that changing. I knew how it felt inside of me. I knew this hole that was in there that that I constantly needed to feed. It was like an internal monster constantly asking for more. I need more. I need more. So I don't know about you, but if you got what I got and you're listening to our podcast today, our only objective is to just open up a window and advise that there is a solution. So I'd love to chop it up with you all. Everyone in here is in recovery, and I'm sure everyone in here has something to contribute. I'd love to hear it. Thanks. Hey, I'm Sean C. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, hey Sean. So when I look at the passage uh, Troy just read, talking about being... Um, you know, for reasons obscure, we've lost the power of choice in drink. That's really what led me into the program. Um, alcohol had quit being fun for me for probably the last, I mean, it quit being fun for a long time, but it was totally and completely unmanageable for the last probably um, two years. And it got to the point where I had tried everything on my own to um, drink like a gentleman, they say, or try to drink with moderation. I switched from, you know, I used to be a high quality beer drinker and then I switched to hard liquor and then I was I thought I was a swanky drunk drinking expensive bottles of scotch and it all ended up in the same road I would tell myself I'd have a scotch or two scotches and next thing you know um you know a a bottle of scotch is gone and I'm digging through the cupboard looking for more and then the next day I wake up um full of guilt shame and remorse but having to go to the liquor store because the only way to make me feel better to make me feel normal is to um pick up another drink and I just it was like being stuck in Groundhog's Day. You know, every every morning was the same thing. You know, you'd get up and have that conversation with yourself. I'm not going to drink today. You know, to, yesterday was the last day, right? You, you're so over just the that pattern of that cycle of abuse you get stuck in. And then I find myself, now I'm in the car. Then I'm driving to the liquor store. Then I'm pacing around the store. And then next thing you know, a half an hour has gone by and I'm still having that argument with argument in my head about, you know, am I going to drink? Am I not going to drink? And I, and I always ended up drinking. Um, now, was it, was it just me or did the car know exactly where to go? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, sure, it sure did. Um, but yeah, you know, and then it was, uh, as they say in the big book, I was off to the races and it was just a, a cycle of abuse over and over and over. And it got to the point where I, I could not function. I would wake up in the morning absolutely hating myself. Um, I knew I would have to go to work. I had called in numerous times sick, right, using air quotes because I was so hungover. By noon at work, I felt like I was, the best way to describe it is I thought I was going to have a seizure, right? And I don't know if I was to the point of withdrawals where I was at risk for, you know, delirium tremens or whatever, but I felt like if I didn't get alcohol in me, I was going to freak the F out. And just overwhelming sense of doom, um, like they talk about in the big book, you know, lest I cross the street that I might get hit by a, by a truck, right? Um, so finally, um, you know, after living that way for several years, I um, stumbled into an AA meeting at the Vaughn House here and uh, it was honestly the best decision I ever made. You know, I was scared, I was terrified, I couldn't put words together to form sentences and they said, hey, if you're here for the first time, raise your hand. And it was like, oh, God. <laughs> and I did. And the guy is like, do you want to introduce yourself? And I'm thinking, no, not really. <laughs> I said, hey, I'm Sean. He goes, well, are you an alcoholic? 
I said, yeah, I'm definitely an alcoholic. And uh, everybody clapped and welcomed me and gave me literature and phone numbers. And, um, you know, I've, I've been to a meeting pretty much every day since then. I can count on one hand the, type, the time I've missed uh, meetings. And it's been, you know, well over six months now. So I'm eternally grateful uh, to this program and to the, to the fellowship and the folks in this room and outside of this room who've helped keep me sober. And on that, I will uh, yield and let someone else talk. Thanks, Thank Sean. Hi, I'm Justin. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, hey Justin. <laughs> Thank you for the topic, Troy. And um, you know, I think you know the big book is is where where it started for me. You know, being able to relate to to a passage or a text of what I was really going through. And um, I'm still early on in my in my uh, recovery, um, just over four months, and um, it's still baffling that I can't even. Sometimes I can't remember the uh, humiliation that I faced even, you know, four months ago when I was in active addiction, and, and it's still so new to me. But, um, you know, that, that's that's the uh, that's the troubling thing about addiction is our brain makes us want to forget the bad times and only remember the good times. So, you know, there'll be days where I, you know, I'm like, well, am I taking this AA thing a little too far? Am I... Uh, I mean, taking this thing a little too seriously, you know, I still have a life to live, you know, should I really be putting all my eggs in one basket? But, um, you know, the truth is, this is the only thing that I've found that has worked so far, you know, uh, just like Sean said, I, you know, drugs were, were my story. Alcohol was in there as well, but I can relate to everything uh, that was described in this book um, from, from cover to cover. And so, for me, there's there's a big difference between uh, knowing that I have a problem and being willing to do something or knowing that there's a solution out there to my problem and being ready to face that. Because for, you know, from as early on as I can remember in my drug use, I knew that it was a problem. You know, I knew that I, I, I couldn't stop. I knew that I needed to stop and I knew it was hurting me financially, emotionally, uh, spiritually, you know, it was it was killing me. So... But I lived with that with that problem for years until until I you know found out that there was a solution, which is in Alcoholics Anonymous in the rooms. And so, um, you know, the the simple steps outlined in this book they're simple, but you know, like the book says, we are hesitant to want to do them. And uh, for me, you know, change doesn't come unless we're feeling uncomfortable. So I'm working through my fourth step right now, and. I am making meetings every day. I have a sponsor and I pray every day. And, um, you know, right now I am feeling relief, but I know I still have a lot of work to do. And um, I haven't gone through the 12 steps yet, but I am a lot better off than, you know, when I started. You know, drugs and alcohol nearly killed me. I had an overdose um, in November of 2017, and um, that was my biggest yet. You know, I had comes to a realization that um <clears throat> you know it's either keep on going the way I'm living and and you know potentially dying or get clean get help um you know before that I was willing to admit that I had a problem I was willing to admit that I was a drug addict that I was an alcoholic and um but I wasn't willing to really <clears throat> admit that I needed to to quit and stay stay quit you know because I still had that yet in me I was like well you know it's killing my pockets it's killing my you know relationships with family friends loved ones you know but I'm not gonna die you know until 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 that's you know until the day of the overdose and uh so I <clears throat> they found me in the car uh passed out and 
uh, Narcan me back to life and took me to the hospital and I got out and and realized that I needed to do something about my my problem but um, still didn't know exactly how to do that and that's how I, you know that's that's when I reached out and relied on the fellowship because they knew what to do with my problem and so for the for the first um, you know a couple months of, of you know going to AA going to meetings um, I really was was brain dead, you know, but everybody else knew, you know, my sponsor knew what to do and the fellowship knew what to do in order to to help me turn my life around. And so, you know, all I had to do was show up and follow orders and read the big book and pray every day. And it wasn't too hard of an order. So, um, you know, that that's where I'm at today. You know, I hope to, <clears throat> you know, continue to learn the mystery of AA and continue to learn the mystery of sobriety. I love that. I love that, and and there's a whole lot of important parts that you touched on there. You talked about making meetings, you talked about sponsorship, and you talked about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. All those things maybe are the cause of that change that you feel. You know, I'm 100% sure that if you continue doing what you're doing, then things are going to get really, really good for you, you know. Was that Sean? Definitely. Um, but I heard relief too. Um, and that only comes from following following directions. And basically, uh, I love that line. That line is the line that got me here. Uh, inability to bring into consciousness with sufficient force. And that's, that's the important part of that phrase, sufficient force. Because I kind of knew it was messed up. <laughs> I kind of knew that something happened the night before. But I couldn't really remember the bad part. The good part, yeah. The party, yeah, I remember that, but not the bad part. And I've been here for a couple of 24s, and the thing that I learned about that was that my brain is wired to always have a purposeful forgetter, right? Mm -hmm. So the inability to bring in the consciousness with sufficient force doesn't is not just the alcohol, but it's the behaviors, right? So me personally... I can't remember the fact that last time I had this argument with my wife, it went badly, right? Because what I learned being here a couple of 24s is that when you argue with someone you love and you win, you lose because the person you loved lost the argument, right? So I can't remember the fact that the last time I had that argument that I ended up sleeping on the couch, right? So it's, it's, a, it's all about um, touching the stove, and, and realizing it is hot and how many times you have to touch that stove before you realize it's hot. Um, I love that line because it works so much in so many aspects of my recovery over the years. But it also uh, speaks to the fact that we're powerless. And that's the one of the things that I had to learn when I was here. Um, it was very hard for me to uh, relinquish the fact that I had this best friend that was with me through all of all things, right? This 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 entity that was there every time I celebrated, every time it, it, it got with me right before I went to the party, got on me afterwards, it got me in the morning, when I was sad it was there. And then I come in here with you guys and say, hey, my life is in shambles, help. And they say, yeah, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta break up with your best friend. <laughs> and there was a mourning period when I first got here that, that in which I mourned the, the loss of this best friend. Um, and the realization that if this friend was actually an enemy, because I mean, that, that, that took some time. Um, but this line, that line was what, what shone the light on it for me. Um, 
I didn't realize that it wasn't a friend. It wasn't there to help me through these things. It was the hindrance. It was the, the enemy that was holding me back. And it was the reason for, it was the symptom of all the things that were bad in my life, right? And it was protecting me from seeing all the things that were bad in my life. So all these behaviors, all these defects and all this stuff, I had to get that out the way in order to get to some of those and get, it, get another day. So I love that line. That is my favorite line. That's anybody who's in my sponsorship tree knows I recite that at pretty much every meeting. So that's all I have. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks man. I'm Joe. I'm an alcoholic addict. Hey, hey Joe. Um, thanks, guys, for giving me the opportunity to come up here and share a little piece of what I got. Um, when I think of the chapter, there is solution. Um, for me, in my recovery, I, I, I jump right to willingness. Um, and Bill's story describes a little bit about that before um, this chapter here. But um, in my recovery, it all started with willingness. Um, I, I got introduced in AA in 2004 at 18 years old and stayed sober for a very brief period and then I was in and out of the rooms for years to come. Um, spent many years of my life in prison. Um, I've, been, I've been through it um, and I wasn't willing, I, I knew I was an, an addict or an alcoholic but I wasn't willing to do anything about it. I was more willing to end my life, which I attempted to do on my birthday, October 28th in 2014. I was more willing to do that than do something about the actual problem itself. Um, and here in this past year, uh, a s series of events, uh, two DUIs back to back, brought me into uh, rehabilitation um, down in South Georgia, and I was down there for seven months. but. The, the experience for me, you know, I was running from trouble um, when I went to rehab. My lawyer, she was like, you got to go to the Bridges of Hope. You got to get down there. You know, you look like shit. You know, <laughs> it, it might do you some good. I was like, yeah, okay. Some things yeah. never change. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I went down there, you know, originally running from trouble because I, I knew that through the program I would get some of my charges possibly dropped and whatever, you know, whatever I was tricking myself into. But, and it turned out to be so much more than that. Um, I went down there and I, and I saw people just like me smiling and laughing and having a good time. And, you know, at first I, I didn't, I didn't want to listen to anybody, you know, and, and as the months kept going and going, I, something clicked inside me and I I was all of a sudden willing you know I had been beaten down so much you know I was I was having seizures on a on a bi-daily basis and I, I was I was in bad shape and I'd gotten what do we call it the uh, demoralization incomprehensible demoralization that yes I had I had been beaten down so much that I I knew something had to change. Um, and I had um, my first spiritual experience down there. Um, I, I, the guys in our group, they, they hear me talk about it all the time, but I, I love talking about it. Um, you know, I was out there in the stars one night and just stargazing, and 
you know, something just clicked in my head. I looked up and I saw the stars up there and realized that there's something much bigger than me out there. Um, and it made me feel so small. And, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a beautiful feeling that I had gotten. And, and at that point, I was, I was willing to do something about what I had going on. And that's when everything clicked for me. Um, and through that, you know, I'm over a year sober now, and it's a miracle today that I'm I'm still sober. And just that fact alone tells me that there is a God out there. There is a greater purpose for my life than the way I was living it. Um, and it's uh, it's a beautiful thing, this program, and it's it's given me my life back. And I just I owe everything to it. Now I'm. Now I'm dedicating my life to, I, I'd like to, to help people out, you know. Um, I, I know through my experiences, through my experience, strength, and hope that I can help other people out and, you know, and possibly prevent someone from going as far down as I have been. Um, but that's all I got. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. Appreciate Thanks, Joe. it. Hey, y'all. My name's Holly. I am definitely an alcoholic. Hey, Holly. Hey, Holly. And um, I love the the portions that you read here, Troy, um, especially, you know, um, that we've lost the power of choice and drink. Um, I thought I could stop whenever I wanted, but I just didn't want to at that particular time, right? And um, then when it came time when I really wanted to stop, I couldn't. And um, I... I specifically remember not wanting to drink, tell myself I'm not going to drink today, and not wanting to pick up that drink and crying because I was drinking and I didn't want to. But it had me in its grips, and I didn't have a choice in in, the, in those moments. Um, you know... Uh, in my early years of drinking, I was, um, I guess what you would call a social drinker, a weekend warrior, or whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, that, um, you know, I had some fun times, but um, at some point in time, um, I started taking it a little too far and became an everyday drinker. And, um, and, and let me just say this, um, I can look back to, you know, my first drink uh, in high school, and I can tell you that even though I didn't drink every day in high school and college, I did drink alcoholically, which means once I put it into my body, I didn't stop until I passed out or we ran out, right? And... Um, so I look back on that and, and I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely an alcoholic. Um, and, you know, um, as the years progressed, I, um, I started using alcohol and, and other substances because I didn't like my outside circumstances. Um, I started self-medicating because I thought that was going to help me with this, you know, my life that you know, was in shambles. It made me feel better, you know. Um, it, it calmed my anxiety, it, you know, whatever it helps us with. It just anesthetized everything that I didn't want to be a part of. And, um, 
you know, I, um, and, and all along, you know, I'm suffering from depression and anxiety and I'm taking, you know, depression medication and it specifically says don't drink with, <laughs> you know, because alcohol is a depressant. And I'm wondering why my depression isn't getting any better and why my anxiety is getting worse. Um, and, you know, after I get sober, I come to find out it's all alcohol induced, you know, and I'm like, well, pfft okay yeah i wish i would have known that but i don't even if i knew that i don't think i would have been able to stop because of the the power that it had over me and um you know i um i i got to a point where you know here here's here's my situation i am the creator of my own problems right and I drank because of those problems. So, you know, I created a storm and got pissed when I, when I got rained on, you know? And it's like I couldn't accept my part in anything, right? And it was like this vicious cycle, um, not wanting to take responsibility for my actions and, you know, wanting everybody to save me and, oh, I'm a victim and this, that, and the other. Um, but in reality, it was my thinking. I was emotionally, I was physically, emotionally, and spiritually sick, and I had no idea, you know. I'm, I'm drinking to fill this void that I think that alcohol can fill. And um, today I know that, uh, you know, substance can't fill that void. That's a, that's a God-shaped hole. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I have to fill that hole with, you know, <coughs> a higher power, which I choose to call God. But, um, you know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous gives you the choice of, of, of what you want to call your higher power. And for that, I'm grateful. Um, but, you know, I... Um, I I went on until, you know, one day I was just like, you know, my family's telling me I got to get help. Nobody's, you know, everybody's angry with me. And I had no idea what treatment was. Um, I had been to a couple AA meetings, but I just, you know, I I was, I was alone. I was truly, truly alone. Um, and, um, I went and, um, and, and something was guiding me this particular day because I drove myself to the hospital and um, just, you know, not a detox or a rehab center, but just, you know, Northside Hospital. And I told him I can't stop drinking and I need help. And, um, you know, they, they, they took me into the emergency room and um, I had just moved here. And so my insurance was, was a little different and they were having trouble finding me a place. And um, I was in the emergency room in an area for 10 hours while they, um, the hospital staff looked for um, a facility that would um, accept my insurance and, and had a bed. And um, I could have got up and walked out of there at any point in time. I was there, you know, no, I wasn't being held there. And something was with me, keeping me there, right? I realized, I realized now that I had surrendered in that moment. 
because I drove myself there. I've got my car keys. I can get up and leave if I want, right? But I, I just had this sense of calm, like everything was going to be okay. And um, they did get me into treatment, and I, you know, I, I went through detox, and I went through several several weeks of, um, you know, intense rehab. And, um, you know, the first thing I did when, when I got out was, was, was go to an AA meeting. And like you, Sean, they asked, hey, are there, you know, is, is this anybody's, you know, um, first time? And, and I raised my hand. And after the meeting, I, I, I picked up that white chip. And, um, and everybody welcomes me. You know, on the other side that you were reading where it says there is a solution, it says, when therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. And you all laid those tools at my feet. And, um, you know, Troy, I specifically remember that, you know, you were one of those people that approached me in the beginning. I mean, there were several of people that approached me, but, um, you know, you um, specifically stick out in my mind. Um, and um, y'all showed me what to do because I couldn't live life on life's terms, right? And, um, you, you guys told me, Holly, your problems are of your own making, and your your thinking is the problem. The, the drink, like Sean said, is just the symptom, right? And um, so I, I, I reached out and I asked for help, you know? Um, in the beginning, I was, I was going to two and three meetings a day because I had no business being anywhere else. And um, I got a sponsor and I worked um, I worked the 12 steps and I've worked them several times since then um, I'm four and a half years sober today by the grace of God and I owe it all to this program and wonderful people like you guys that um, you know uh, are there and and supportive and you know today I have a phone full of phone numbers of anyone that I can call at any given time and somebody will be there for me. I am not alone. We say that in the program. We are not alone. This is a we program, right? Step one says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. And um, Real quick, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop with this, but, um, you know, I knew I was powerless over alcohol, but I couldn't see how my life was unmanageable because, you know, I still had a house. I still had two cars in the garage. I was still paying my bills. Um, but the unmanageability came in with how I was, you know, I was switching liquor stores because I didn't want them to know, you know, that I was drinking too much. I was hiding my alcohol from my ex-husband. I was, um, you know, taking the empties, you know, I couldn't throw them in the trash. He'd see them there, right? And then he finally figured out I was putting them in the dumpster. So then I got to take the, you know, grocery bags and take it up to the convenience store and throw it away in their parking lot. I mean, <laughs> that's unmanageability at its finest, you know? I mean, it's not, it, it, it's my, it was my behaviors and my attitudes toward, 
the situation that um, how dare you come at me and tell me to stop drinking? I mean, you know, and um, and and luckily for me, a sponsor pointed that out. You know, she had me she had me write down, you know, for my first step, let, give me 10 reasons why you're powerless over alcohol and 10 reason, reasons why your life is unmanageable. And I sat there and pondered it for a minute because I'm like, well, I don't know that my life is really unmanageable. And she mm. brought up all those points. She's like, Holly, you did this, you did that. You know, you were doing some crazy stuff. Girl, that's unmanageability and that's irresponsibility. And you, um, you have to take responsibility for that. And that really opened my eyes, right? Because I had the powerless part and... And that that helped me realize my my unmanageability, and um, I'm forever grateful for that woman who pointed that out to me. Um, you know, but like I said, I've I've worked the twelve steps um, a number of times since I've been in this program, and um, it 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 just keeps getting better and more more eye opening, right? Um, this isn't a one we work the steps one time and and we're done and we're cured um i mean this is this is something that i have to to keep up and maintain um not necessarily i don't want to say maintain i want to say grow continue to grow from um because you know i thought that just putting down the drink would solve my problems but that's that's not the case you know i had to change my entire life my entire being my daily routines my you know everything and um you know i i would not be where i am today without this program and all the wonderful people that i have met along the way that have guided me and um and i'm so blessed that i get the opportunity now to take other women through this work and i get to watch the light come on in their eyes when they they get it and that's like that's that's a high in itself right and so um you know i'm just troy thank you for for asking me to be a part of this um i'm i'm super grateful that i got to do this and um you know there is a solution it's here like like joe said we just got to be willing to pick it up how about that so Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. I'm I'm so glad everyone was able to make it today. You know, Holly, you brought some, there was a lot in what you just shared. You know what I mean? And and I'm thinking if I were a newcomer hearing this, you know, it it may scare me. You know what I mean? Because you're talking about changing everything. You know what I mean? I don't think everything is the problem as a newcomer. As a newcomer, my only problem is probably getting the cops off my ass. Yeah. Or, you know, probably trying to hold on to this damn marriage, you know, Mm -hmm. or trying to stay out of jail. You know, that was the thing that I had to change, that Mm -hmm. situation. You know what I mean? And I never once looked at it as something that had to be internally changed. You know what I mean? But I had been beaten into submission. And by the time I got to this room, I started to understand some things about myself and about the world around me. 
You know what I mean? And I had to start changing some things. And when you guys started talking to me about change, uh, the first thing that my first sponsor asked me is like, what's your prayer life look like? Yeah. What's my what? <laughs> my prayer life? Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> you know, I got stuff I got to do. You know what I mean? So when when talking about my prayer life, it it, it really st- it left me unsettled. You know what I mean? It, it, and that's a conversation that I don't have with normal people. You know, and that's when I started to understand that I had to change some stuff spiritually. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Not just uh, externally. But I had to start looking inside of me and saying, Troy, what it is that that comprises you right now is a lot of lies, a lot of prideful behavior, a lot of ego, and those are the things that had to I had to begin with. You know, what about y'all? What are the things that you feel that must be changed now? You know, being at the stage of development where you are, where you find yourself today. What is it that has to be changed? Well, one of the things that I know for me, and I'm Sean again, um, Sean W. Um, one of the things that I have to change is uh, as I get here and I stay here longer, uh, I've noticed that the defects that I've identified previously have a tendency to rise up at, at, at points where my coping skills are eclipsed by the problems that are presented. And I have to constantly renew my, my commitment to this, this program because I'm not well yet. <laughs> and as long as I stay here, I realize that I might, it, it is the ever, um, ever escaping uh, uh, goal <laughs> to get well. But um, uh, so, I, so whenever I find myself off the beam, and that's what I say, I'm off the beam, um, I find that I have to take up a more rigorous recovery. So I go back to basics. I go back to going to meetings regularly, reaching out to individuals to help, um, you know, basically getting back in the book, getting with my sponsor, going back through the steps. Things that, things that got me here and kept me here are the things I have to continually do to stay here. And I don't. And the other thing is, as as I stay here longer, I find it harder to share that in a open setting. The fact that, okay, well, look, I got all this time. You know, I don't want these newcomers to know that. Uh, you know, I don't have it. So, um, but but, bump, but that's that bump ego. That, bump that because yeah, yeah. exactly. Pride will kill me. Pride will kill me. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I wish. I wish somebody had given me the vision of pride in a pipe. <laughs> Because it's trying to kill me, you know what I mean. Just like the diseases. Mm -hmm. So further, so so, but one of the things I learned is that, and I learned this after being here for a couple couple years, and the fact that that realization that my higher power did not allow me to experience this life for me. I'm experiencing this so I can be of maximum service to him and my fellow man. And in keeping my current state away from those individuals who would hear it, I am depriving them of the ability to get what I have. So um, I got to stay, I got to remain, remain teachable. And that's one thing that I sometimes struggle with uh, ego will come in and say, okay, well, look, there's all these newcomers in the room. What could they teach me? But 
the, the literature tells us that a newcomer <laughs> can share something with us that, that might have escaped us. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, remaining teachable, the, the how of the program, and, it, and we spoke about this earlier, you know, the how of the program isn't as, as, as uh, publicized as it once was when I first got here, but the honesty, the open-mindedness, and the willingness. And that willingness, and I've learned this in the, in the past couple of years, is that willingness is the most important of those three. Because I got to be willing to be honest, I got to be willing to be open-minded, and without that key of willingness, I don't get the other two. But the open-mindedness piece is the fact that, look, Sean, yeah, your ego still is here, right? You have to be open-minded. The fact that you still have defects, and people can see them, and when they point them out to you, you have to be open-minded enough to get those mm -hmm. suggestions and take them and do something with them. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things I'm learning. I love that. I love the fact that open-mindedness is a part of that acronym because I realize that I am frequently wrong, you know? And if I don't admit that to myself and to others, I will continue to make those same mistakes over and over again because that insanity comes with it, you know? Because I want to be the one to give you the answer. I want to be the one to have the answers. You know, when I was out there drinking and drugging, somebody asked me a question, I got the answer. Even if I had to pull it out of the crack of my ass, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give you an answer. You know what I mean? I'm going to give you it, and then I'm going to walk away. You know what I mean? For you to later find out that I was dead ass wrong. You know? But I, in a face-to-face -face, uh, engagement, I would never admit such a thing. Um, part of the freedom I have today is to know what that I don't know, you know. Sean C., again. Hey, Sean. Wow. <clears throat> you know, Troy, as you talk about things we had to change, um, for me it was baby steps, right? I think coming in it was it was the willingness. It was trying to be open, and I, I think I was very, very partially willing and open to just a tiny bit, and... Uh, Troy was my first sponsor and like the first day I met him was like day three and I said hey Troy uh you know all like kind of shy hey uh Troy are you accepting uh sponsees <laughs> and uh Troy's an intimidating guy to a brand new guy he's like I mean w but not in a bad way like I'm like damn this guy's serious he's like yeah walk with me come here he's like gets a big book we start reading he's like sit down read this and I'm like nervous as hell and I'm trying to read and he's like no, 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 no. You said that wrong. <laughs> Pronounce it like this. But, uh, you know, and then I'm like trying to absorb it. And he's like, I, you know, what's your take on God? And, you know, like he's just getting to know me like rap. It's like rapid, quick, like like a quick sponsee interview. And then uh, he's like, all right, get a piece of paper. This is when we go to meetings. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like <clears throat> I'm at the meeting. And he's like, on you know, Monday we go here. Tuesday you're here. Thursday we're here. Friday we're there. And I'm like, holy crap. Like the this is crazy. I'm like, I can't do it. So I went home and talked to my wife and I'm like, oh, you know, can you believe this guy wants me going to, you know, a meeting at eight this day and over here and over here. And I told him I got to be home. And she's like, when you're home, you're, you're not really here. You're in the other room drinking, playing video games. So like, <laughs> yeah, you go do that. That's, that's totally cool. So the first thing was just listening to what the hell my sponsor told me, even though I didn't want to, even I didn't want to go to meetings. The second thing was changing my behaviors, right? Instead of waking up with a hangover, I woke up and prayed and just thank the God of my understanding for keeping me sober today. I asked him to keep me, or for keep, I usually do it kind of backwards. Thank you for keeping me sober yesterday. I asked that he keeps me sober today. 
Um, and then my prayer life developed over time, and then I would pray for others and other things. But the biggest thing for me, and you hit it on the, the nail on the head for me too, is that ego, and it's constantly trying to change other people, right? Anytime there's a situation, an escalation, an issue at work, it's that other person. They're an idiot, they're dumb, they're wrong, I'm right. And so trying to learn to have honest reflection and see what part I'm playing in the situation and, um, you know, treating the other person as if they were completely innocent in it and really trying to get into what was my role in this situation. And when you really kind of do a gut check and you look at like, no, I was being a jerk and I did let my ego get the best of me. And I was arguing because I was resentful about the situation. And if I would have just did what I was supposed to do, it would have been a hundred times easier, but I dwelled on it. I festered on it. So for me, it's, um, like you said, you know, learn or one of you said learning to admit when you're wrong, but learning to try to catch yourself before I do too much damage to myself and, and dig myself into a deeper hole. Um, but you know, it's all of those things combined, you know, the praying, the going to meetings, the fellowship, the calling other guys, talking to Justin daily, talking to Joe, just these guys just about daily call Troy all the time. Um, I didn't learn these things by myself, right? I didn't come in and just go, I'm going to do this. Right. Troy taught me how to do all this yeah. stuff or, or other men or women in the program taught me to do this stuff. So if you're willing, you're open and you do the things that you're told to do or asked to do, there's suggestions, right? If I quit calling Troy, Troy's not going to come hunt me down. Troy is going to match the intensity in which I'm in this program. He's going to match that intensity, right? If his guys are on fire and they're here and they're calling him every day and their butts are in seats and they're hungry, Troy will do anything. If you don't call, then I guess when you're ready, call me. Um, so that's the other thing, you know, find a good sponsor. Most of them will match your willingness. Be willing to do it even when you really don't want to. Just freaking do it. And the miracle starts to happen. Um, it takes time, but it, it truly happens. Yeah. So we're, we're at the portion now of, of the program where, where I'd like to kind of dedicate some time at speaking to the newcomer. If, if, if you're new to this program and you're, you're trying to find uh, yourself in this program, first and foremost, we ask that, you know, you purchase yourself an, an, a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You, you find yourself a, a, a competent sponsor, someone who's willing to take you through that book and give you some guidance. What else would you suggest a newcomer do? Uh, for me, I'm Sean W. again. <laughs> Call your sponsor daily. Um, uh, my first five years of sobriety, I called my sponsor every day. Um, and after five years, those daily phone calls got replaced by sponsees calling me. But uh, what it does is it, it, it reprogrammed me to replace bad behaviors with good behaviors. And, um, you know, just like with anything else, uh, I had to build a relationship with this individual that I didn't know at all, right? So that I, what I did was, you know, call, by calling him daily, we talked maybe five minutes the first day, ten minutes the second day, and then when my ass was on fire, we talked for 40 minutes, 50 minutes. But after that, it got to the point where I would trust him with everything. Um, and I and the honesty is the spiritual principle behind the first step for a reason, because that honest relationship when I actually started going through step work with him, it was it was it was a no brainer. I did I trusted him. I I was like, okay, well, look, I'm giving him everything, and you know the trust was built in the fact that I've been talking to this guy every day. 
You know, it's it's funny how uh, I see I see sponsees at times who, you know, they'll do all this devotion to to make this relationship work with this girl, but my relationship with me, I get a little jealous. I'm like, look, you call you call her every day, you can't call me. <laughs> so, um, you know, and and it looks like you know, I, I know I know that's a kind of different take on it, but I I do I get a little jealous. I'm like, look, build a relationship with me. Let me get to know you, so I can so that we can go through this process, and maybe your life will be saved. Yeah. You know, you said something that's real important, that you called them every day, and then when your ass was on fire, mm -hmm. then, and then when something comes up that you need help with, it is easier for you to pick up that phone and say, hey, it's just me again, yeah. but today I got something that's weighing on me and I need a little help. You know what I mean? So this, this whole routine about building a routine is really valuable stuff. You know what I mean? Because something is coming. Somebody's going to say no to you. Somebody's going to upset you. Something's going to come down the pike that you're going to need some help with. You know, and I guess what, what you're saying, Sean, is to get ahead and, and hit the road running. You know what I mean? Start making those phone calls right away. So that, you know, because with Joe, it'd be, it, was, it, was, it was hard. It was, yeah, he came up the rough side of the mountain. You know what I mean? It took him a while to develop that, I guess, you know, that inner trust. That, you know, it's going to be all right. You know, there's nobody judging you. You know what I mean? I've been where you've been, and, and I can possibly help you find the, the just a little handhold or the toehold to climb out of there, you know. And um, how was that transition for you, Joe? Um, it was uncomfortable. Um, you know, you've heard me talk in meetings before, you know, with my family life, you know, um, sorry. Um, in, in my family life with my mom, you know, secrets were always kept and you never opened up about what was going on. Um, so if something would happen in the house, you know, mom would say, oh, hush up, hush up, don't tell anybody. So, so for me, you know, reaching out to somebody was really, that's very unlike me because I have been taught my whole life to, you, 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 you carry your own burden, you know, don't put your burden on anybody else. And, um, you know, I, I guess at my, my 10 month mark, you know, Honestly, I hit a huge wall. Um, you know, I was very complacent in my program. I wasn't going to many meetings at all, and, and things were getting bad for me. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I had, hadn't relapsed, but I, I was mentally still sick, you know, and I was getting sicker on a daily basis. And, um, you know, honestly, you know, someone touched on forgetting uh, where we came from and you know my mind forgets where I come from um, and I've actually got a, a picture on my phone of myself when I was going into intake and rehab and I, I look at it all the time because it's it's incredible to look at myself at that point um, and to see where I've how far I've come but yeah um, you've come pretty far what, what do you, have you had any medical issues yeah, I've I've had a lot of med which which medical issues. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've come far, you know. Um, I, I still deal with medical issues. I, I had a heart attack in in two thousand fourteen. I touched on that earlier, um, and, and that. Oh oh oh! My bad. 
Um, I, don't, I forget where I was going. You had a heart attack? Oh, heart attack. Uh, yeah, so I, I deal with um, uh, energy issues, my, my heart not flowing as if it was a healthy heart. So I have got a lot of energy issues, and I struggle with a lot of energy. But that, um, I don't know, I kind of got lost. I'm sorry. Didn't you have a, a stroke? Uh, yes, I had a stroke in 2017 before I w went into treatment as I was going into detox. So, so did you forget about that or? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, um, yeah, my, my addiction has, has brought me to some, some very dark places and, um, and my body's not what it used to be. I, I definitely beat my body into submission and my body was giving up and, um, so I had a stroke in 2017 going into detox and, um, you know, all these issues are a culmination of my actions through the years. And, and, you know, it's, it's on a daily basis, it's hard for me to forget, you know, where I've been because of the condition of my body is in now that I will constantly have to live with for the rest of my life. So the good news is, um, today, well, we, me and Troy were doing our, my fifth step on, uh, last Saturday, and it, we, we went, what, five hours? Probably got another five, six hours to go. It's pretty extensive in depth. And during all of that, Troy asked me what my prayer life was like. And, um, you know, in the beginning of all this, I, I was had a very deep resentment towards God because I, I thought that everything that had happened in my life was of God's doing. So all this medical issues, everything that happened to me, I blamed on God. Um, and I know that now not to be the case, you know, it was God all along who was saving my butt every time something was happening. Um, and for me to, to believe in, in something greater than myself was, was a huge revelation for me. You know, that was a huge step in, in my recovery. Um, so, you know, Troy asked me what, what my prayer life was life was like, and I, I told him, you know, how, how I pray every morning. You know, I do, I do the third step prayer, um, I do the eleventh step prayer, the um, prayer of Saint Francis, and um, and then Troy asked me, well, how do you do it? And I, you know, I, I, I told him I, I do it in my mind. You know, I don't verbalize my prayer at all. And um, he was like, well, you know, I want you to start verbalizing it every time you pray, speak it. You know, and, I, and I shared this the other day, you know, I, I very feel very uncomfortable sharing, you know, speaking up to God, verbalizing my prayer. You know, I just feel like a fool, I guess. Um, so I started doing that on Saturday and you know, on Sunday, Monday, you know, today's Friday. And I've, I've done it every day this week. And, and a beautiful thing happened to me Wednesday morning. I woke up in prayer before I could even get a thought through my mind. I was already praying. And then I took that prayer to the, the foot of my bed, and I prayed, and I continued to pray. Um, and that is huge for me. Um, and since then, you know, my, I, I feel in my, my soul and my heart this spirituality living within me, and, and it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah. Well, I really want to thank you guys for summing it up. Uh, I want to thank you guys for showing up. Holly, Sean, Sean. Dustin, Justin, <laughs> and you, Joe. I appreciate all of you. If we could just take a moment 
um, to maybe uh, remind you guys that if you're looking for help in any type of addiction or alcoholism, you can log on to aa.org and it'll tell you where the meetings are in your neighborhood. Uh, you can definitely log on to na.org, ca.org if it's Cocaine Anonymous, and cma.org. And uh, of late, there's now a Marijuana Anonymous, so I'm thinking that's ma.org. Um, but if we find out anything, just stay tuned and we will definitely broadcast it so that everyone in the recovery community can access it. Thank you guys again. Let's have a, a, a farewell uh, prayer in the way that we have been taught. Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Keep coming back. Keep coming back.